Hello, hello to everybody who is tuning in. It's time for another episode of Building a Better Story World, the podcast that helps you craft and understand the design of narrative universes. I'm your host, Steele Filipek, here again with case studies to help you compose your own work. There are prompts for those who are interested, but if you're just here to learn more about your favorite creators and how they design their works, by all means, sit back and relax. Today, we're continuing our latest arc of content, which covers interactive design. This includes video games, apps, live events, spatial design, and much else. Anything in which your audience helps to weave your tale. This can be as large as a trip to an amusement park, The magic is calling you to the Walt Disney World 50th Anniversary Celebration, beginning October 1st. Or as small as a shared storytelling experience on a Friday night. Gall staff, you have entered the door to the north. You are now by yourself, standing in a dark room. The pungent stench of mildew emanates from the wet dungeon walls. Where are the Cheetos? They're right next to you. The last episode detailed the basics of this structure, which includes... An agent, a figure who has agency or the ability to control the experience in some small way. A desire, something that the figure desires out of the world beyond the basics. Obstacles, blockages that prevent agents from achieving their desire. User choice, a choice provided to the agent that allows them to overcome those obstacles. Reward, something that validates the agent's initial and continuing participation. We're going to be discussing the agent today. In a traditional story, this would be your protagonist, the principal figure and changemaker or action taker in your story. Interactive stories necessarily have many such figures, however. Each player in your RPG, each user of your app, each participant in your campaign is their own protagonist. They all have their own hopes, needs, dreams, and personality. More importantly, unlike a broadcast narrative, these figures have some control over the way the narrative plays out, from deciding how they want to engage with you. Leah, what do you want? What do you bid? Six thousand. Six thousand dollars. Lindsay. I bid five thousand. Five thousand dollars. Mina. Nineteen hundred. Nineteen hundred. Taylor. I'd say uh, twenty-one hundred. Twenty-one hundred. To determining how they want to play the game. This game is to keep that mountain climber from falling off that cliff at the top of the mountain. And if you know enough about the prices of these three prizes, you'll be safe. What are those three prizes, Rich? All right, Bob, first, unfold, unwind, and float away on Spring Float from Swimway. Spring Float is the most comfortable pool lounge available. And then being rewarded or punished for their actions. Now, Josh, my boy, I'd love to give you that. This is important enough to write down if you're following along. Your agents have desires that are blocked by obstacles, which you will help them overcome by a user choice, after which you will reward them. You might also remember that, from our last episode, we detailed the three primary forms of the agent in an interactive structure. Avatars. The figureheads of your users, be they in the form of a form handle or a character, like Nathan Drake from the Uncharted series. Great. Power's out and a girl's trapped. I swear to God, if there's a zombie around the next corner... Is that a popcorn machine? Users. 
The players themselves who control those avatars by running, jumping, investigating, fighting, or voting, liking, commenting, and sharing, as on Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. So I really hope you guys have enjoyed this video. If you have, make sure you leave me a thumbs up and don't forget to subscribe. And let me know down below what are your, some of your favorite nude lipsticks, lip glosses, whatever it is. Thank you so much for watching. Lots of love, and I'll see you guys next time. Audiences. Collections of users, including fandoms on such platforms as Reddit to stadiums, such as Soldier Field. Most interactive structures embrace at least two of these aspects of the agent. For instance, in American Idol, you have avatars in the form of the contestants, in that we live vicariously through them. Tell us who you are. <laughs> My name is Gil. I am all the way from Orlando, Florida, and I moved to New York City about a year and a half ago because I wanted to sing and I wanted to perform. And what a better place for me to be able to take my talents to the American Idol stage. We also have users who vote on their success and failure. Tonight, the power is finally in your hands, America. Remember, you vote, you decide. And audiences who take part in the broader story world of American Idol, from spinoffs to merchandise to albums to even theme park experiences. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff, one of the producers with the American Idol experience here at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And I heard that you wanted a sneak peek, so everyone's away right now. I thought I would take you in and show you what it's going to be like to have dreams come true here at the American Idol experience. You probably have your own interactive story, structure, or idea, particularly if you took part in last episode's prompts. If you don't, no worries, because we're going to be getting to our latest prompt right now. First, I want you to write down a brief sentence about what your interactive structure is. An app, a board game, a campaign, whatever. Just make sure that your audience has some level of interactivity, even if it's small or illusory. Secondly, I want you to write down at least six attributes of your interactive experience. Is it going to be long or short, intense or relaxing, for younger audiences, older audiences, or all ages? Don't stop with those examples, however. Really try to dig deep down and think about some elements that make up your piece. <coughs> Lastly, I want you to write one sentence about your story world and how big it is for your agent. Ignore your broader apparatus for this. Think about how your user is going to be interacting with your story structure. Improv comedy is an interactive storytelling structure, of course, and, seen from the success of the People's Improv Theater and the Upright Citizens Brigade, something that can reach global appeal. It's nice to have an adult applying for a change. Thanks. I'm changing careers, and it's difficult to get into a new field. Oh, what was your last job? I was kind of a whore. Uh, aren't we all in a way, huh? Yeah, I guess so. But without the magic of interaction between the users, in the form of the comedians themselves, and the audience, there would be no broader story world. Think this through, pausing if necessary, and then begin again. Why is this last bit important? I'm going to showcase it to you in three distinct parts via the three mechanisms of the agent. But first, to our case study. A popular science fiction video game franchise that has recently been revived in a legendary edition for anybody who wants to take to the stars and save the galaxy.
First released in 2007, Mass Effect launched a multimedia empire for its developer, Bioware, and publisher, EA. Four major titles on consoles and PC followed, along with multiple mobile titles, novels, comic books, and anime, and much more, all built on a fairly standard storyline. You are humanity's law-enforcing representative to a federation of alien lifeforms, and must stop a galactic threat before it destroys all life in the Milky Way. Why did you bring me here? You must break a cycle that has continued for millions of years. But to stop it, you must understand, or you will make the same mistakes we did. This isn't anything new for lovers of sci-fi and space opera, but Mass Effect's promise to the audience was. The gamer could make choices that would affect the scope of the conflict in each title, leading to many branches, paths, successes, or failures for the main character and their crew and the universe. Even more interestingly was that these choices persisted between games. The main character grew from one title to the next, so that by the end of the initial trilogy, gamers felt like they had taken part in a colossal effort that reflected how they engaged with the cosmos. The defining characteristic of organic life is that we think for ourselves. Make our own choices. You take that away, and we might as well be machines, just like you. You have choice, more than you deserve. In essence, Mass Effect's creators did for AAA gaming what pen and paper RPG creators have been doing for a long time. Beyond the easy-to-understand controls, mechanics, graphics, and narrative, which made the series easily approachable for rookie gamers and vets alike, was the potential that the gamer's choices mattered. What you did in the first minute of the first game would affect what happened in the last minute of the last game. This was all done through the filter of the main character, Shepard. He or she was the avatar of the gamer, in many senses of the word. Gamers could customize the character's appearance, background, role, and much else that would lead to different playstyles. Gunplay, cunning dialogue, upgrades for weapons, a morality system, and an RPG light leveling system all led to a main character who reflected as much of the audience as could be feasible in such a game. Note how this individualization ties the gamer to the character of Shepard, not just in game one, but through the series. Some people will try to remake themselves. Some will try to create an idealized version of themselves. Others will go the complete opposite route. But when they're facing off against waves of enemies 40 hours in, the look of the character and the feel of the combat style they've chosen reminds the player that their avatar is reflected in their choices. Many video games have this functionality, but such in-depth customization is not a requirement. You don't need face morphing to enjoy Tetris. But note how even in the smallest of arcade games, players are allowed to put in three letters to document their names for posterity on the leaderboards. Uh, Homer, what wacky name do you want? Are poo and ass taken? Yeah. Damn! Could my life get any worse? This shows the wide range of options for avatars and interactive structures. Sometimes it's an image and a handle, like on Twitter, Yelp, or any number of other platforms. For others, it's an acronym used in the sex advice column. I don't know, what, what's the line between holding a relationship hostage and just kind of being clear about your boundaries and what you need, you know. Each showcase the paradox of the avatar. By giving people a front-facing image that is their stand-in, it allows them to explore the world and their id. Perhaps a gamer will want to make their version of Shepard a complete paragon of truth, justice, and peace. You, you help me. Why? It's what I do. I don't know if I can find a cure for this plague, but I'm going to try. Or maybe they want to roleplay Shepard as a reckless renegade. Tell me where the Quarian is, and I won't have to shoot you in the kneecaps. Tell me where that meeting is before I blow your lying head off. Don't tell me how to do my job. Put a round in his leg, see if he talks. 
Consider, too, how participants in Sleep No More, the long-running interactive theater piece, all wear masks that anonymize them. But note how each participant also gets to determine which room they go to and which parts of the story they want to interact with. That mask allows each participant to act out their fantasies just a bit, both a wall between reality and fantasy, as well as a gateway between the quote-unquote game and their soul. Enough about that abstract concept. Let's get to your work. On a piece of paper, I want you to write down at least one sentence about who or what the avatar is for your audience. This can be as simple as a nickname on a forum, or as complex as a self-designed costume for cosplaying their own characters in some form of LARP, or somewhere in between. A pen and paper character sheet, a profile on a dating app, and a user page on an airline rewards program website are all forms of the avatar, and all have varying levels of complexity and customizability. Speaking of customizability, we're getting to that next. Below your description of the avatar, I want you to write at least three elements that are customizable by your audience. Names, faces, and roles quickly come to mind, but go beyond that. Consider how in many social platforms, users can give each other rewards or awards that are highlighted on their page. Gamer rankings are another form of customization, earned but unique to the individual. Blue check marks, overlays for video applications, and trophies for untapping a certain amount of unique beers are all such features. A little bit of customization goes a long way, particularly if you're creating a small venture. Fans don't expect you to have millions of layers of individualization if you have a $1,000 budget. People got along just fine with their imagination in Dungeons & Dragons long before video game versions came out. What people expect is a little bit of a way to customize their experience, particularly when that allows them to act out a little bit. Acting out is a core element of the next aspect of the agent, the user. It is important to make a clear distinction between the avatar and the person who is controlling that avatar. An avatar is a protagonist that can have feelings, desires, and expressions that differ from the user's own. That's perfectly acceptable in an interactive experience. Remember that the audience is being asked to take part in a story. So if you're giving them a mask, they can do things they might not necessarily feel comfortable with in real life. It's not they that are singing on stage or gonging someone off or cracking wise. It's their persona. See, I used to think of myself as a writer, as, as a performer who wrote his own material. I always bragged about that in interviews. I'd say, I write my own material because a lot of comedians didn't. I say, I'm a, I'm a comedian, but, but I write my own material. Now I think I'm a writer who performs his own material. What is critical for the user is to understand your user's desires. Aligning your experience with your audience's expectations of experience is critical in this. If your user is expecting a story-like game that is heavy on the action, then you'd better give them something like Doom. Against all the evil that hell can conjure, all the wickedness that mankind can produce, we will send unto them only you. If your user is expecting something thoughtful, reflective, and gameplay light, an experience like Gone Home will be more to their speed. Dear Katie, so much has changed, even just since you've been away. We moved into this house. I'm in a new school. And my big sister being gone for a year doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't feel real. But I'm not going to let it phase me. I used to tell you everything, and if I can't do it in person, because you're off gallivanting around who knows where, I'll tell it to this journal. Just like I was talking to you. 
understanding who will be enticed by your experience will help you plan for their engagement and for how they will get to that engagement. You don't need to have a full marketing strategy cooked up, but getting an idea of who your user base is will help you determine budget, look, feel, user interface, and much else. Something bright, cheerful, and easy to pick up or put down is going to be targeted to an audience who wants to have fun on the go. If you have a complex board game with hundreds of pieces and an ongoing story that requires dozens of sessions and a hefty price tag, you should probably focus on the niche of the audience who likes that sort of thing. In Gloomhaven, you lead a party of fearless mercenaries, guiding them through dark and dangerous dungeons in search of untold riches. Put your strategy to the test in unforgiving turn-based combat. Mass Effect itself was intended to be designed for multiple kinds of gamers and multiple playthroughs. It had to, what with its enormous budget and the pedigree of its narrative-heavy development team. People expected to be able to make choices that affected the outcomes of the games and the characters therein. Early on, gamers could choose one of two characters to survive in a battle, the ramifications of which led to the dying character being removed from playability for the rest of the original trilogy. It's done, Commander. Go get the Lieutenant and get the hell out of here! Belay that! We can handle ourselves! Go back and get Williams! Such choices made Mass Effect a hit with its target audience, but as stated, its narrative, gameplay, and customization weren't overly complex. This needed to be as big as possible to allow for all kinds of audiences to be able to take part, or rather spend $60 on a single game. Some hardcore gamers have bemoaned the lack of complexity in Mass Effect's gameplay for this very reason, but I think it was a smart choice. It allowed for RPG fans, science fiction fans, and narrative game-loving fans to all find something in the games once, twice, or three times. You might notice that I'm dividing the fans here with an overly broad brush, and that is quite true. You're never going to be able to subdivide your audience down to the granular level, unless it's via a shared storytelling experience with a few friends. We'll be getting into user archetypes in a later episode, but for now, let's determine how your users want to engage with your experience. On a sheet of paper or in a spreadsheet, I want you to draw three columns and six rows, giving plenty of room to write in each cell. Label the six rows, characteristics, agent, desire, obstacle, user choice, reward. Then beginning in the first row, I want you to describe your primary user. Who is the kind of person that would like your experience? In the characteristics row, I want you to jot down a few words or phrases that describe this person. Economy class or business class, intense or relaxed, easily distracted or highly focused, those kinds of things. In the agent row, I want you to use one word or phrase that could sum up that user in a brief phrase or expression. Lonely 50-somethings with too much time on their hands. Or, young adults seeking adventure. Or, children who like to draw. It can be whatever you want. You may see where this is going. In the desires, obstacles, user choice, and reward cells, I want you to write out what this user wants out of your experience, what obstacles might be put in their way, and whether those obstacles are fun or not, the kinds of choices they can make, and how they can be rewarded. This is very broad, and you should feel free to workshop this on the back side of the page or in another doc. You're going to be continuously refining this as you work on your piece. Knowing what your users want out of the experience in each of the five steps and understanding their characteristics will help you make a more compelling interactive narrative that feels that it was tailor-made just for them. That's just one column, of course. The other two columns are for two other kinds of users who will take part in your experience. 
try to use one column to describe, in the same fashion as I detailed above, someone who is much different from your core user, but will still want to engage with your interactive structure. As stated in the last episode, Uber must appeal to riders and drivers, while Yelp must appeal to eaters and restaurateurs, and Twitch must be accessible to both creators and fans. Hey, this is Doug Doug, where we solve problems that no one has. Today, 300 people tried to beat one level of Mario 64 by controlling the game entirely through Twitch chat. But also, consider how such games as Smash Brothers, Overwatch, and Counter-Strike are for regular gamers and pro gamers. League of Legends World Championships, only on MSG. Fill in each of the six elements of that second column, thinking them all through, before going on to your last column. In that last column, in the same way you built out the others, I want you to highlight one set of fans or users who may not like your work, or at least may not like it at first. Maybe they don't like the idea of going online to look for cooking instruction, or perhaps they're intimidated by the controls of a video game. Whatever it is, this is not your target demo. But I do want you to find the elements in them that might make them become a fan. Write down their characteristics, a phrase that encompasses their personhood, their desires, and all of that good stuff, and try to figure out why all of these things, while maybe not 100% aligned with you, could lead that someone to enjoy their experience with your work. Most may not ever give it a chance, but some may. And if you can find the ways that will entice them, you'll be handsomely rewarded with people who would say, I am just as shocked as you that I'm playing this game. Lastly, let's discuss audiences. Audiences are nebulous things, as they can mean a group of fans in a singular space. Back here at the PGA and Tiger at the second. You know, 220 yards. Yeah. Oh, beautiful looking shot here. That's a four right towards the center of the green. Or a group of people across the internet. What's up, guys? Welcome back to my channel. It's your girl, Nima, for those of you guys that are new. Or an ephemeral fandom that encompasses casual fans, hardcore fans, and everybody in between, regardless of whether they tune in or not on any given Sunday. To keep things simple for now, I'm going to be discussing the group of people who will be participating in your experience after they have taken part. By that I mean, your audience are the people who proselytize your app, who back your second Kickstarter campaign, who shout your praises on Reddit, and who get into sometimes heated discussions about canon. No way! Kirk could kick Picard's ass! Yeah, at least Picard had the guts to admit he was bald. What? You take that back! You're going to need to think about how your users are going to share their experiences with each other after they have taken part. Not every one of them will be a star, but each will have had a unique moment that was shared with the piece of art you have crafted. Consider how in the Blue Man Group, several audience members are always humiliated for arriving late. <laughs> You're late, you're late, you're late, you're late. While in Seize the Show, the way that audiences interact to uncover clues or solve problems will necessarily lead to different outcomes, which will require that they participate again in order to see everything through or to see all possible endings. With different possible choices, no two shows are ever alike. The audience experience is just like you're playing for the first time, every time. These elements are what get people talking outside of the bounds of your experience, which is where you want people engaging. With the exception of chat boxes and coffee breaks, you don't want people ruining the fun of an interactive experience by jawing at each other during a performance. The place outside is where buzz is built, and where people learn about how their experience was more customized than what they had expected. 
Mass Effect had this in spades. Aside from the aforementioned multimedia and plot choices that were dictated and discussed by fans, there was multiplayer capability, convention events, shoutouts on social media, unique merchandise, unlockables, and more. Of interesting note, creators kept alien designs humanoid so that fans could cosplay as their favorite races. While limiting in one respect, it also allowed fans to show their love for the property at conventions and elsewhere. I'm Random Tuesday, and I am going to talk you through my N7 Femshep armor that I made for PAX last year. For non-narrative elements, consider how Kickstarters have early bird pledges, in which backers who contribute at the beginning phase get the same rewards for less money. Also think of how sharing details or experiences with a friend can lead to a discount code, a la Airbnb, Turo, or too many other apps to mention. Finally, consider how bands, sports teams, and other groups will give special offers or rewards to people who wear their merchandise to certain events. These are the kinds of decisions you are going to have to make when it comes to your own property. It's not just about buzz, but about building a community. A community that feels like they have a little bit of control of your property. Fans can't will their team to a touchdown or scream to prevent a character from dying or have every single whim catered to, but they can make your story world a part of the real one. Importantly, they can also tear it down if you willfully ignore them or make them feel like they don't have any control. Remember that these recommendations and prompts are for narrative universes. If you have a vision that needs to be shared and you want your audience to fight through it, that's perfectly fine. Such works as The Witness, Maze, and Do Not Believe His Lies all had massive fan support despite their extreme difficulty, and yet didn't lead to a story world success because that wasn't their intent. If you intend to have an army of fans who meticulously discuss your work, you have to keep their interests and the shareability of such in your mind. So, keeping that in mind, let's get on to our final prompt. I want you to think of your audience, the people who will interact with your experience, and come up with three rewards. 1. A narrative mystery that only superfans will be able to figure out. That is, you should somehow build a mystery into your world that can only be solved by careful dissection and sharing of information. This may or may not have some kind of bonus attached to it. More important is that it should be a kind of grand reveal of something that the basic narrative cannot answer. 2. Some financial bonus for engaging with you. This may be a discount for early pledging, free content if people share with their friends, bonus content for pre-ordering video games, or really, anything that incentivizes people to purchase your stuff. Try to allow for individualization in this. Maybe give a slate of things that people can choose from if they complete your campaign, which grants them greater agency than a one-size-fits-all t-shirt. 3. A few ways that you can validate your fans by taking part in your story world. We discussed cosplay, but think also about how you can include fan letters in your comic book, or retweet fan art or fan fiction, or how you can give them chase content at conventions if they stand in line for an autograph, or any number of things that get your fans active. Many fans will be casual and just want to take part in the basic interactive story you provide, but finding ways to activate those super fans who want to get activated will pay off in dividends later on. These prompts are just the beginning, however. You're going to have to cultivate that fandom you're building in ways that go beyond simply rewarding them with stuff. Speaking with fans, rather than talking to them, is a critical element in long-term interactive engagement. If audiences know that they're being listened to, even if that may differ from your vision, they're more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt when things go wrong, and more apt to help point out areas for expansion. We'll be getting into more of this in later episodes. 
understanding avatars, users, and audiences is a never-ending process for professionals. Next up, however, we're going to be dealing in desires, those elements in your agent's souls that drive them to keep interacting with your work. Tune in next time for that episode, or subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Hit me up on steelphilippec.com or on Twitter at Words of Steel or at Building ABSW. I hope to talk to you soon. Building a Better Story World is written, produced, recorded, and sound engineered by Steel Tyler Filipek. The theme song, Asia, is by Ilya Marfin via icons8.com. All narrative clips are used under the Fair Use Doctrine, as defined by Title 17 of the United States Code, subsection 107, in that they are used for nonprofit educational work for the purpose of analysis, have been transformed from their initial records by audio engineering for podcasting, and are not substantive of the entire work or function as a direct market substitute. Audio effects are provided by freesound.org under the Creative Commons license. If you feel that this production has unfairly used a piece of audio to which you own the rights, please contact helmstarmedia at gmail.com.